Heavenly Father, we know that your word says that those are blessed whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning and we are seeking to be blameless and to live according to your word so that we can indeed be blessed, that we can walk according to the law of our Lord. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we listen to your word this morning to become more like Jesus Christ, who was the true blameless one and in whom we can find true blessedness. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we continue our series in Genesis chapter 3, and we've been looking at Genesis 3 in isolation, although we are aware that in Genesis chapter 1, something very important happened, something very significant happened, where God created the heavens and the earth, and he created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. And then we've been seeing what happens after that which is where the serpent arrives in chapter 3, verse 1. Satan himself comes and begins to speak to Eve and to get her to doubt God's word. In verse 1, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He got her to doubt whether God really did say that. And when she responded, as we looked at last week, we saw that she was beginning to doubt God's word in her response, that she was beginning to uh, minimise the laws of God and particularly uh, introduce even harsher requirements than God himself instituted, where he said, uh, you cannot eat of the tree, and she said, we can't even touch of the tree. And so we looked at how she was really starting to doubt God's word. And now we look at, in verse 4 today, the serpent's response to Eve. And so I encourage you to have a Bible open before you in chapter 3, Genesis, which is found on page 3, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, which we'll be looking at today, where Satan really pulls out all the stops. He was sly before, he was crafty, he was a bit more subtle. Now he is much bolder as he can see that Eve is beginning to waver. What does he say in verse 4? You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. God had said back in chapter 2 when he gave the command to Eve, uh, to Adam, he said there that they would surely die. Chapter 2, verse 16, we read, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Compare that with what Satan says over in verse 4. You will not surely die. He is a liar here. He has come out and he's a blatant liar. And we see that he is a liar throughout the rest of scriptures and we know that Jesus considered him to be a liar from that passage that we just had read to us from John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Jews and what does he say to them? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says that Satan is a liar. Is that true? How do we know that Satan is a liar? Well, all we have to do is consider what he said and evaluate whether it is indeed true. He said to Eve, 
you will not surely die. What happened after that? We know that Eve did surely die, that Adam surely died, and Adam's descendants, one after another, surely died. If you were to read Genesis chapter 5, where it gives a genealogy of Adam and his descendants, one after another, it says again and again, if you read through that passage this afternoon, look at it carefully and see what happens at the end of every paragraph. It says that the person died, 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 died. The Bible affirms that Satan is a liar by showing that person after person who has come after Adam and Eve has indeed experienced physical death. And we don't need the Bible to tell us that humans do surely die. As we look at experience around us, we know that people do surely die. Whether it be friends or family members that we have seen and loved and known for a number of years, but then they have died, proving Satan wrong. And again and again, it may not be someone close to you. We see, as we look at the papers, day by day, week after week, year after year, people dying. The obituaries are there. And we become very conscious of it when particularly celebrities pass away. I haven't had many people close to me pass away in my family, but I noticed when celebrities that I knew died, people even younger than me. Notice when Michael Jackson passed away. It was a big event around the world. Here was someone very famous, and he passed away. It can be a celebrity like that, or it can be an infamous person like Saddam Hussein. Most of us have witnessed that Saddam Hussein did indeed die. We knew about his life. We knew what he was up to, but he did indeed pass away. And just recently, Billy Graham, a celebrity in the Christian culture, where is he today? He's gone the way of all the earth. Satan is a liar. Billy Graham has died. Lived a long life, but he has indeed experienced physical death. And it's not just the physical death that shows that Satan is a liar. Satan said, you will not surely die. And yes, people have physically died, but people have also died spiritually. There's a spiritual death that happened to humanity once they began to sin. Once Eve and Adam ate what they shouldn't have, a spiritual death came upon the human realm. And that is where we are no longer having spiritual life towards God. We're not interested in the things of God. We're not interested in following God. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, as Ephesians 2 tells us. We are spiritually dead. We are not interested in God. In fact, we are hostile towards God. And the Bible affirms the spiritual death and affirms that Satan is a liar here, but even experience affirms that there's a spiritual death in people. Any Christian who's witnessed faithfully to someone who's an unbeliever and that unbeliever has not responded in the way that you'd like to see them respond, knows that there is a spiritual death in other people. You may as well be talking to a physically dead person about the gospel because they just can't hear you. You talk to them, you argue with them, you reason with them. It seems perfectly logical to you that they should trust in Christ for salvation. But they're dead. They don't hear you. Satan is a liar. Humanity has surely died. And it's not just physical death and spiritual death that came that day. 
It was delayed, but there's another death that comes. And that's the eternal death, the second death that is spoken of in the scriptures as well. The Bible affirms that there's an eternal death of the wicked. In Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. There is physical death, there is spiritual death, there is eternal death. Now, the Bible affirms that. Experience is a bit harder to get on this matter. Yes, we have experience of physical death. Yes, we have experience of spiritual death in this world. Eternal death, well, I don't think any of us have been there and come back to testify about it. But we do see that it makes sense. Our crime against God, our sin against God, does deserve eternal death. It does deserve eternal torment. We sin against an infinite God. And so our crime is of infinite magnitude. It is a terrible sin that we commit against our Creator. We minimise sin all the time. But it is awful. It is heinous because it is against the Almighty God. Just as sinning against your brother and sis- brother or sister is not as bad as sinning against your parents. But imagine you elevate it further up to a politician, to the Prime Minister, to God himself. Yes, it is terrible to sin against the living God. And so we do recognise that we should surely die an eternal death for our sin. But why should I talk on death this morning? As we look at this verse together, surely I should just move on from it. Isn't it a reality that everybody recognises? Everybody recognises that people die physically in particular. And we recognise that there's spiritual death. We recognise that there's a second death. But not all of humanity recognises this. Satan lies about spiritual death. He tells people that they have free will, that they can choose God at any time they want, that they can do right. They're not a bad person. They're actually pretty good. Satan lies to people about their spiritual death, and they believe him. Satan also lies about the eternal death that we deserve. Yes, we may recognise in this building today that there is a second death, there is an eternal death for the wicked. But there are many people who will deny that, and that is the voice of Satan. I can introduce you to an atheist friend of mine who will be adamant that there is no hell, that there is no second death. And there are many Christian preachers who teach universalism, that everybody is saved, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, or there may be a second chance in the next life, like Mormonism teaches, or some, teach, uh, some Christian pastors teach annihilationism, where, yes, you will die, yes, you'll be punished for a time, but then you'll be annihilated and there'll be no ongoing punishment for all of eternity. So Satan has lied to people today. They think they have free will. They think they're not spiritually dead. They think that there is no hell. But that is not true. They have believed a lie of Satan. Now, when it comes to physical death, it's a bit harder for people to drown that one out. It's a bit harder because it comes up again and again. You have to really close your eyes to the fact that people physically die. 
But Satan can distract people so that they don't consider that they will surely die. Much of the world drowns out thought of death with different distractions, whether it be work, whether it be family, whether it be different types of entertainment. They drown out the noise of death. They drown out that which proclaims so clearly that we are sinners by our physical death. It's kind of like with my children sometimes in the car, they're being whingy, annoying, complaining in some way. And what do I do? Well, I could try and deal with it, or I could just turn the volume up on the stereo in the car to a point where you can't hear anything anymore. They realise you can't hear anything anymore, and so they stop. That's how some people respond to death, to physical death. They just turn up the volume on something else in their life so they do not have to consider that they will surely die. And so we need to consider the death that is there. Why is that? Why wouldn't it be better just to turn up the volume and not consider physical death, spiritual death or eternal death? Because in one sense, it would be nice to be ignorant of the nasty things like death. Why should we consider it here this morning? Why not just ignore it like much of the world? Because there is a way to escape death. If there was no way to escape death, yes, then let's turn up the volume. Let's minimise it in our lives and forget all about it. But if there is a way to escape death, then it's worth considering death and using a fear of death to drive us towards that way of escape. Now, some people in the world have really cottoned on to this. And I'm speaking of those who are fitness addicts and food addicts. They've realised they're dying. They've realised that if they continue to eat and have sedentary lifestyles where they don't exercise, then they will die a lot quicker. And so they've gotten serious about physical death. I've been watching a documentary on, um, on it's called CrossFit Craze, that's there in America, where these people do all kinds of different physical activities to make themselves healthy. And it's incredible what they can do. I'm flat out doing a push-up just normally. These people do ups, handstand push-ups, up against the wall, handstand, and then actually do push-ups. They are into this because they fear physical death. They really want to make sure that their bodies are healthy. And then there's people who go on food crazes. They understand that physical death comes, and they recognise that much of what people can eat isn't actually going to prolong their death. Instead, it speeds up their death. And so they evaluate all types of food and they have different types of diet, whether it be juicing diets or I'm quitting sugar. I've watched a documentary on, on, on food as well. And these people really believe that they can solve the problem of death by eating rightly. It was interesting uh, in this documentary that I was watching where he, I, it may have been a slip of the tongue, but this is what he said. He said, if you get serious about what you're eating, he said, they will, those people who get serious, they'll find that they can live a life not just being fit and trim, but actually feeling how they've always wanted to feel in a body that works properly and that stays healthy forever. He actually used the word forever. And as you watch these documentaries of these people who work out like fitness junkies, could you say, 
And food junkies, they're, they're so serious about food, you, you get the perception that they really do think they're going to live forever, that they've found the way of salvation from death. It's fitness and food. They've gotten serious about death, but the problem is they're on the wrong path. They haven't found a cure for death. Every meal, every drink, every push-up, all it does is prolong the inevitable. A long life is not really a long life. It's a long death. We don't live ultimately in the land of the living. We live in the land of the dying. We live amongst dying people. And yes, some people have recognised death, but they think that they can escape it with the wrong methods. There is only one way to escape the death that is proclaimed in the scriptures and proclaimed in our experience. And ironically, that salvation is by a death, by one death. Jesus Christ and his death. Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we could live so that we could live, so that we could be spiritually alive, so that we could actually follow God, whereas before we were spiritually dead, so that we can be physically resurrected, we can die physically but live physically again, and we can escape the eternal death that we deserve for our sins. Instead, we can have eternal life. We all died in Adam that day many years ago in the garden. But some will awaken in Christ. And that's what Romans 5 is very clear on speaking about. Romans 5 is this chapter that speaks so clearly about Adam and his action and the consequences, and then Jesus and his action and the consequences. I'll read for you Romans 5 verse 17 where it says, For if by the trespass of the one man, if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We all died in Adam, but all live through Jesus Christ if we come to trust in him. Satan lied that day to Eve and said, you will not surely die. Everyone has died spiritually and are dying physically and many have gone on to die eternally. But Christ truly says to his people, you will not surely die. He can say the words that Satan said here so many years ago and not lie. Satan said, you will not surely die. And lied. Jesus says, you will not surely die if you trust in me. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You will not surely die if you trust in Jesus Christ. And how do we know that he's true? That he's not a liar just like Satan there? Well, he's proven it by showing he has power over death. How did Jesus Christ prove he has power over death? That he's not a liar like Satan here? By his resurrection. He has shown he has power over physical death. 
No fitness or food junkie ever did that. Showed that if you just have a diet without sugar, you can die, but then you'll come back to life. Your body will be resurrected. If you can do 20 push-ups while you're doing a handstand, you may die, but you can come back to life. Jesus is the only one who has shown he has true power over death by his resurrection. And he has power over spiritual death. We see that again and again as someone who was hostile to Jesus Christ. And I've known people like that. I've known it in my own heart, but I've seen some people who are really hostile to Jesus Christ. And then they've flipped. And they suddenly love Jesus, showing that there is life after spiritual death in Jesus Christ. So we need to face the reality of death. We can't drown it out. Why? Because there is a way to escape death if we will face it. If we truly face the reality of death and trust in Christ, not in fitness, not in food, trust in Christ, we can have eternal life. And this is good news for many reasons. But one reason it's good news is because adjusting your diet and adjusting your exercise regime is quite hard. Whereas trusting in Jesus Christ is so simple. Even the dietitians they're always changing their mind about what's good food, what's bad, whether it's a juice diet that's the right diet, whether it's all fruit, whether it's uh, all, all um, and no carbs. What, what do you have? Is it no sugar? What is it that will make you live forever? They change their minds. You're never quite sure, and you have to work so hard at it, particularly if you love sugar. And the same with fitness. It's hard work doing the fitness regimes that they put out there that you have to accomplish if you are going to live forever, when it's not forever. It's hard. Trusting in Jesus Christ, you can do it right now if you've never done it before. And you can have eternal life right now. Yes, you may have a quicker death if you eat badly and don't exercise. But that won't mean that you die eternally. You can have eternal life if you trust in Jesus Christ now, and that is good news. So we should all know that death is a reality. We should face that truth. We shouldn't ignore it. And so that it then leads us to Jesus Christ, the only cure for death. And this is wonderful once you trust in Jesus Christ's death and know that you have eternal life because it means you can actually embrace your physical death. You can look forward to dying physically. Why? Because you know to die is gain. I've actually done something on my phone at the moment. I've got this widget. People don't know what a widget is. I've got this little countdown on my phone that shows on the screen. Every time I unlock my phone and move to a particular screen, there's a little countdown number there. And the reason I put this countdown number on my phone is because I, in the middle of the night, I was awake, and I, the phrase went through my head, teach me to number my days. And I was actually already had a countdown widget on my phone, which was showing countdown till I went on annual leave. I thought, why don't I have another one that counts down to the day of my death? Now, I don't know when I will actually die, but the Bible does tell me that man's life is approximately three score years and ten, 70 years, approximately 70 years. So I worked out what is the day when I'll be 70, my 70th birthday, and put that into this little countdown widget. 
And so when I look at my phone now, I see that I have roughly 11,600-odd days to go. Now, my wife's not particularly happy about this. Um, It's a bit morbid, and it is morbid in one sense because it is about death. But it is teaching me to number my days, to recognise that I only have so many of them. And then I will go home. I will go to where I truly belong, where my citizenship really is. And so if you are a Christian, have you come to like the thought of physical death? Not just recognise that Satan was a liar here when he said you will not surely die. No, I will surely die. I recognise that now. But because of the death of death in the death of Christ, I actually look forward to my death now. Not in a suicidal sense where I'm actually going to kill myself so I can get to heaven faster. No, that should fill the Christian with abhorrence, that idea. We don't commit suicide. That is murder. Murder of oneself. And we know that God does not like us sinning in that way. But instead we are looking forward to when God will take us home. That we're going to our real home through death. Death just becomes a doorway by which we enter into our true home. So are you looking forward to resting in peace because you have trusted in Jesus Christ? Do you want to cross the Jordan into Beulah land, as Christians used to call it, which comes from the Old Testament and means to be married, to Beulah land, sweet Beulah land? Are you impatient for a sweet chariot ride home? I don't know if there's a chariot when you die that comes to take you home. It's a chariot for Elijah. But are you anxious for that sweet chariot ride to go home? Do you long to see the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem? Do you want to enjoy the pleasures of paradise? Do you want to live in the room that Christ has gone ahead to prepare for you, as he promises to do in John chapter 14? Do you want to see heaven open? And the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. That's what Stephen saw when he was dying. He saw heaven opened. And the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. And he fell asleep in peace. Even as they were stoning him. In Acts chapter 7. Do you want to talk with the saints who have gone before? Friends? Family? People from the scriptures who you've come to love as you've read about them? you want to receive your crown of glory? Do you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Are you keen for that to happen? And to hear him say, come and share in your master's happiness. Do you want to rejoice around the throne of the lamb in heaven, praising him? Worthy are you to receive all glory, honour and power. Holy, holy, holy. Are you looking forward to your death because it will take you there to do that? Do you want to see God face to face? See Jesus Christ, your Saviour, in the flesh. You can welcome your death because you know that will happen. Can you say with the Apostle Paul, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If you fear death, if when I read those questions there for you, you're still afraid of death, 
who's still afraid to die physically, then I encourage you, ask God for increased faith in the death of death, in the death of Christ. Pray, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief so that I don't fear death anymore, but instead look forward to it and welcome it and embrace it because I know to die is gain. Let's come to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we must confess that we have often ignored the reality of death, that sometimes we've been tempted to believe Satan himself when he said, you will not surely die. Lord, we thank you that we've been able to see from your word and from our lives that death is indeed a reality, but there is also a way of escape that your scriptures have revealed to us that the death of Christ is the way of salvation. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us not to fear death, but to trust in Christ and his death, which paid for our sins because we've turned to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us by increased faith to look ahead to the joys that are to come after death and even welcome death with open arms because we are going home to see our Saviour face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.